Good afternoon. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, the last day of February 2022. This is KUAF 91.3, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Kyle Kellums. On our show today, you have an idea, but what to do with it. The Fayetteville Public Library's From Maker to Market Micro-Entrepreneurship Program can help. Where do I begin? How, how do you take an idea from a piece of paper or your imagination and actually bring it to life? And that's the gap that we wanted to fill through, through the tools available through our Center for Innovation and through the knowledge from our really incredibly talented staff and community partners that we're working with on this project. And in just a few minutes, what's next for a statue of a Confederate soldier that's been removed from the Bentonville Square? Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich gives us that report. Governor Asa Hutchinson is calling for a return to a more normal state of handling the coronavirus pandemic. The governor says the rest of the country should return to a more pre-pandemic approach to rules when it comes to masking and other restrictions. It's very similar to other disease control that uh, uh, you educate the public, the public responds to that. uh, And so it's about... Uh, education and and vaccinations versus mandates and beating the drum on it every day. Uh, I think we're to the point that everyone knows what to do and they know how to protect themselves. Arkansas's Secretary of Health, Dr. Jose Romero, says the state's vaccination rate continues to lag, which he says could cause problems in the future. Our vaccination rates are falling significantly. Uh, They're approaching 1,000 a day, which is really uh, too low. Um, and we need to continue to vaccinate. Now is the time to prepare for the next surge, which inevitably will come. That is the best protection. We do not have a sufficient supply of antivirals or monoclonal antibodies. That is a, just a, a matter of, of production. Dr. Romero is urging Arkansans who have already been vaccinated to receive a booster shot. About 3,800 doses of the COVID-19 vaccines were given out in the state Tuesday through Friday of last week. Members of the University of Arkansas faculty will discuss Ukraine and Russia tomorrow evening. The discussion from 5 until 6.30 will be in the Honors Student Lounge on the U of A campus and will include faculty members who are experts in Ukraine, Russia, and the former Soviet Union from history, political geography, and the Department of World Languages, Literatures, and Culture. The Northwest Arkansas Naturals will host a job fair tonight beginning at 5.30 at Arvest Ballpark in Springdale. The jobs include part-time and game day occupations like concessions and ushering. Applications and interviews will take place from 5.30 to 7 o'clock tonight. And the Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team will open play in the SEC tournament on Thursday after completing the regular season yesterday evening with a win at Mississippi State. Arkansas, the number eight seed, will face Missouri, the number nine seed, at noon Central Thursday. If Arkansas wins that game, Razorbacks will then face the number one team in the country, South Carolina, on Friday. This is Ozarks at Large. A Civil War Confederate monument removed in September of 2020 from the Bentonville Town Square after widespread civil rights protests is going to be placed back in view, this time in a nearby private park. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich tells us more. 
Late summer 1908, the United Daughters of the Confederacy, comprised of descendants of rebel soldiers who fought in the Civil War, erected a Confederate statue on Bentonville's town square. The statue memorializes Arkansas Confederate leader James H. Berry. The property is owned by Benton County but maintained by the city. 112 years later, during the summer of 2020, as Black Lives Matter roiled the nation, the statue was removed in pieces and placed in hiding. It belongs to the United Daughters of Confederacy, and uh, we have it in, it's stored now in a uh, secured, undisclosed location. Fort Smith lawyer Joey McCutcheon speaks on behalf of the United Daughters of the Confederacy, UDC, established 1894 in Tennessee by female descendants of Confederate Civil War soldiers. His great-great-grandfather was a Civil War veteran. Certainly, that's part of my heritage and uh, part of who I am uh, and and just, just happy to be able to uh, preserve our history and preserve uh, our heritage. Arkansas UDC members and supporters are paying to have the statue restored and erected in a new private Civil War Memorial Park planned in Bentonville at the corner of Southwest 5th and Southwest F Streets. It's going to be on a piece of ground next to the uh, uh, Bentonville Cemetery uh, near the, near the uh, Pill Mansion. We're, uh, we're happy about that. You know, James H. Berry was buried uh, of course, in the Bentonville Cemetery. McCutcheon declined to identify any park patrons or designers by name or construction costs. Benton County Historical Society is the owner of the land, and uh, they're our partners. Referring to the neo-United Daughters of the Confederacy, now based in Richmond, Virginia, of which McCutcheon is a supporter. Of course, uh, we own the monument. And uh, so it's a, it's a uh, totally private park, no taxpayer dollars involved. The monument to James H. Berry, a mass-produced metal statue replica of a bearded soldier, was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1986. Since 2015, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, more than 148 Confederate monuments have been removed leaving more than 700 standing, most were erected across the South, to laud the Confederacy, a secessionist government that waged war to preserve states' rights, white supremacy, and the enslavement of millions of people. The monuments are often taken down in the dead of night from town squares, courthouses, and public sites. Most are placed in storage, private collections, and public museums. It will be... Uh, a centerpiece uh, in the James H. Berry Park. James H. Berry was a Civil War officer, lawyer, Arkansas lawmaker, and circuit judge for the 4th Judicial District. He also served as Arkansas's 14th governor and a U.S. senator. The historical record also shows that later in life, Berry advocated for equal justice for all, including African Americans, but not by direct political interventions or vote enfranchisement. Along with Barry's monument, Barry Park will also feature a wall of honor to commemorate Benton County soldiers, both Confederate and Union, who died during the Civil War. About this park is it's going to be very unique because it's going to be told from a human side, from Union to Confederate to uh, slaves. 
Barry Park project developers are consulting with local, state, and national historians, McCutcheon says. Bentonville city officials have approved the Civil War Park plan, which encompasses about a half acre zoned general commercial. We queried the town mayor for comment, as well as Debbie Griffin, director of administration. She emailed that it's not a city of Bentonville project or park. It's a private project and private park. The planning commission, she says, can only and did only make sure the project adheres to city code. I I do think that privatizing these Confederate memorials is really new. Angie Maxwell is director of the Diane Blair Center of Southern Politics and Society and associate professor of political science and holder of the Diane Blair Endowed Professorship in Southern Studies at the University of Arkansas. Maxwell says Confederate monuments were erected to reassert white authority, but for social reasons as well. Oh, the rationale for erecting them was honestly to deal with the grief and loss of the war, and for a lot of women in particular to deal with the husbands that came back from the war that felt um, emasculated by losing the war, who felt like maybe it had been for nothing, um, and a way to tell a story that it was a noble cause, um, and, and to assert kind of the antebellum Southern white way of life as you know, morally just. Maxwell says the United Daughters of the Confederacy present a revisionist history. I think one of the things people don't uh, realize about the United Daughters of the Confederacy is, yes, there was an immediate effort to make all of that grief and loss make sense. You know, the lives lost and a lot of women, mothers, wives, sisters wanted to do that. But past memorializing, the other thing the United Daughters of the Confederacy got involved in are textbooks and the way in which the war was remembered and the way in which it was written. And that may not be white nationalist rallies, but it is whitewashed history. Re-erecting a publicly censured Confederate icon in a private park open to the public is rare and problematic, she says. But given the planned new context, it might work. So I guess it will just depend on, you know, the intent of the people that are putting it together and what story they tell. But Maxwell warns privatizing censured Confederate memorials poses certain risks. The purpose of public space is to build community and kind of a shared sense of values. And if we continue just to privatize everything so that we are never made uncomfortable or the story we like is the one that's told, You know, I worry about what that does to us generations from now. Um, So, you know, this will be an interesting test case. Groundbreaking for the Bentonville Civil War Park, honoring Arkansas Confederate figure James H. Berry is planned for mid-March. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Still come on this edition of Ozarks at Large, the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History yields today the voices of four legendary Arkansas radio personalities. I feel I'm um, similar to wrapping paper, as all of us are, and some of the people in this market are brown paper bags, and I try to be a little flashy, if you will, uh, a package that stands out underneath the tree, and whether or not that works or not, will, uh, well, it remains to be seen. Randy Dixon from the Pryor Center will be with us in our second half hour. 
Northwest Arkansas Community College will celebrate history this Saturday by hosting the 2022 Region 10 History Day competition. Students from 3rd through 12th grades from area schools will present the research and projects connected to this year's theme, Debate and Diplomacy in History. The presentations and competitions at NWAC are part of the National History Day being observed across the country. There are opportunities for the public to view student work and research from 9 until 2 Saturday. The award ceremony then will take place Saturday afternoon at 2 in White Auditorium on the NWAC campus. You can find out more, including a schedule of events for Saturday, by following History Day links at nwac.edu. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center, a small business family-owned in Fayetteville since 1973. Packrat offers a variety of outdoor skills clinics, including kids' bushcraft and archery clinics, and more. A full schedule of skills clinics, local cleanups, and events is available online at packratoc.com. This is Ozarks at Large. There is not a shortage of ideas in our region, but transforming those ideas to three-dimensional reality as a source of income or a new business can be tough. A program at the Fayetteville Public Library intends to connect people with ideas to the resources they need, from the physical aid like 3D printers to the institutional knowledge like branding or small business tax assistance. The library is taking applications right now for the second ever cohort in the program. Those applications can be made through March 15th. Melissa Taylor, the manager for the Center for Innovation at the Fayetteville Public Library, talked with us about the 12-week Makers to Market program funded by the Walton Family Foundation last week via Zoom. She says the program is about leveraging the equipment, support, and resources offered at the Center for Innovation with startups and small businesses and people otherwise without access to these tools. And really, it's, it's about um, not only providing them the access to those tools and equipment, but providing them the, the know-how, the support, and the skills to, to turn their idea into something tangible. You know, uh, digital fabrication skills don't come easily or cheap, and not everyone has access, you know, to college opportunities just at the drop of a hat, especially people who are working, you know, regular jobs like, like all, you know, a lot of us. So um, that's kind of where, where that idea came to life, and that's, that's the support role that we saw the Center for Innovation as. I want to get to some of the things that will be more on the support end here in a minute. Let's talk more about the ones that help actually physically develop the, the, the 3D ideas, including there's a 3D printer, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a few 3D printers, actually. Um, so we have, we have several of those, uh, what we call FDM 3D printers, the, the standard you know, 3D printers that have the spools of filament and it, it creates molten plastic layer by layer from a design that's been, you know, 3D modeled. We also have uh, several resin 3D printers, which uses um, a similar concept in that it's being created layer by layer, but it's instead of using uh, rolls uh, or spools of filament, it's actually using liquid photopolymer resins that are cured layer by layer and allow us to create 3D prints that are one in just exquisite detail and two in a variety of filament types. So we have numerous filaments that are specifically made for prototyping and developing prototypes and that they are, they're durable, 
Um, there are some that are extra durable that can withstand, you know, certain forces. There are flexible filaments. There are not fl filaments, they're flexible resins. And there are also um, even resins that are ceramic based. So we could possibly 3D print something in ceramic, fire in a kiln, burn off any extra resin residue and have a 3D printed ceramic item. Yeah, so it's it's just beyond, it's beyond 3D printers. You know, we could I could talk about lasers all day and <laughs> mold making supplies and electronics, but that's the gist of it for sure. Well, that's what I love because someone can be creative, innovative, have an idea, but not know the first or second thing about what you just mentioned and what you could keep mentioning, and that is sort of I don't want to say handholding, but that will. The people who apply and are accepted will have guides towards all of this. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, like it's it's oftentimes the challenge that people encounter when taking their idea to market are really, like you said, those first few steps. Essentially, where do I begin? How how do you take an idea from a piece of paper or your imagination and actually bring it to life? And that's the gap that we wanted to fill through through the tools available through our Center for Innovation and through the knowledge from our really incredibly talented staff and community partners that we're working with on this project. Um, you know, through, through this program, we were able to hire a fabrication and robotics lab coordinator and we hired the very talented Shelby who coordinates the space and runs phase one of this maker to market program. Um, and through her knowledge and expertise and through the tools and resources we have in our space, you know, we're, we're really able to offer participants access to, you know, like you said, all those 3D printers, laser engravers, and as well as the education and assistance to learn all those digital fabrication methods to operate so many of these tools, you know, like I said, access to prototyping and digital fabricating and micro manufacturing, that knowledge is a huge barrier to overcome. Um, these tools and expertise isn't really something that the average person can afford all the time. And that's where the libraries really always played a role in that responsibility to provide the public equal access to information and resources. So here we are. And, and it goes beyond the modeling, the 3D uh, creation, and the lasers. There's, um, I think, help with uh, branding, with product identity, oh, yeah. with small business taxes as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, we've, we've really partnered with some um, amazing community organizations and um, businesses that'll be offering that, 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 that nitty-gritty business ownership to our, our participants. Um, They'll be learning how to develop patents and trademarks for any products or logos they might create for their business. Um, they'll, they'll be having the opportunity to create a logo. They'll spend some time learning business ideation. We'll have networking opportunities. We'll learn about funding sources. We'll, we'll work on taxes, everything like that. So we're really trying to help from, you know, from idea all the way to all the business stuff and even building their website and launching their very you know small business at the end website etsy store shopify store that kind of level of you know micro entrepreneur these applications are for the second cohort um there's already one that has has begun right how's that going we will actually be wrapping up um our phase one so that's our first six week, the prototyping and micro manufacturing phase. We'll be wrapping that up on March 12th. And um, then we right now we're um, we're in the process of, you know, opening up that phase two, taking these people who've developed their products. They've, you know, started their small micro, micro manufacturing run. They have a, a stock to, to fill their website with. 
now we're going to transition them to the, again, that, that nitty gritty, how to run your small business online, how to develop your trademarks, how to uh, sustain, how to find your customer base, all that fun stuff. So that'll be starting very soon. So we're looking forward to, uh, to getting feedback from those first group to see how we can better our second and third cohorts coming up. This involves creativity. It involves uh, curiosity and learning, but it also a big element of this is access. Access. I could talk forever about access in public libraries. That's what the Center for Innovation and the public library is all about. It's about providing access to those tools that are so often out of reach for the vast majority of us. I mean, from books and DVDs to our study spaces, uh, our recording studio and our 3D printers, you know, the range of access the public library offers is invaluable for people looking for guidance and support. For, for those of us who don't, you know, always come from a family of business owners or for those of us who can't just drop everything and go to college. So we really try to make it as convenient as possible as well by offering those evenings, weekends and some supplemental programs throughout the year to support this program. Um, but again, it's all about access and that's kind of the general, um, you know, the, the general direction that makerspaces as a whole are heading and that's kind of, that's the model that we want to embrace with our fabrication robotics lab and our center for innovation. Melissa Taylor is the manager for the Center for Innovation at the Fayetteville Public Library. Applications for the second cohort of the Makers to Market program are being accepted through March 15th. The program is a 12-week course funded by the Walton Family Foundation. Applications can be made online at faylib.org slash maker. And anytime you hear a conversation or story on our show you'd like to share with someone, you can go to ozarksatlarge.com and use the links there connected to the particular feature you're interested in and then share through email or social media. The Science Venture Studio in Fayetteville, helping early stage science and technology companies, is looking for women in STEM fields. It's scratching the surface on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. The Science Venture Studio is part of Startup Junkie, a nonprofit working to help area entrepreneurs. Katie Thompson is director of the Science Venture Studio. She says the program, titled Empower, is something they've wanted to do for some time. Very excited about this new accelerator. We'll be launching it um, actually uh, in a couple of weeks. This accelerator is aimed for all women that are in STEM that have an innovation that they are, you know, idea stage. It could be, a, you know, they might have a, a prototype, but the idea is for them to think deeply about their innovation um, and how they could possibly grow it um, and develop it through the, uh, federal funding. But these proposals have, you know, very specific things that the researcher needs to address within the proposal. And so what we are doing with this accelerator um, is taking those women um, and just asking those deep questions for them to, to think about their innovation as well as, you know, if they were to develop it, what would it look like? The first round of this Empower program is set to begin in a few weeks, and the first five women participating have ideas for four proposals for STEM in the medical fields, and one is a software development for the travel industry. I mean, it's just amazing to hear, you know, how these women even got the idea or, you know, what pain point that they have seen within their world, how they can see their innovation making an impact. Part of the Empower Accelerator that excites Katie the most is that local leaders in STEM will serve as mentors to the participants, one to help with the technology aspect, as well as one for the business side of their ideas. And so they'll have that support, you know, already built in um, as they uh, continue down this 
journey of developing their innovation. The reason why we are doing this accelerator is because we know that women um, especially need support in this ecosystem. Katie Thompson, director of Startup Junkies Science Venture Studio. Find more at scienceventurestudio.org. Scratching the Surface is a production of KUAF Public Radio in Fayetteville, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. 32 degrees, who are all these people in the studio here? Well, now, this is the new Scene 7 crew. They're doing a feature on morning television. I mean, uh... Morning radio, dummy. Yeah, morning radio, which will be done later on on New Scene 7, and they're our guests today. That was the voice of Craig O'Neill, a longtime Central Arkansas radio and television personality. He's part of a big event that is saluting some radio legends in Arkansas and Central Arkansas. Here to help us talk about it, Randy Dixon, who is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Welcome back, Randy. Thank you, Kyle. It's nice to uh, be out of the house. Yeah, last week was a snowy, no, oh, not snowy, icy Icy, icy yeah. sleety mess. Oh, it took forever for me to clean my car, just the windshield <laughs> off all right, we're talking about some radio legends who are going to be honored very soon. Right. This Saturday, uh, Central Arkansas Library Systems uh, in Little Rock at the Ron Robinson Theater will have, I guess you'd call it a roundtable, with four of the top uh, on-air radio personalities, uh, I'd, ga- I'd say from the last half a decade, that they're going to honor, but also they're going to talk about their experiences. Um, four guys we're talking about are Bob Robbins, Craig O'Neill, uh, Broadway Joe Booker, and the outlaw Tommy Smith. So it's at 7 o'clock. Uh, you ought to check it out. Tickets are, are on online, and you, you can get the tickets. For people who have spent a lot of time or grown up in northwest Arkansas, not all these names are going to be the household names they are in central Arkansas, except Craig O'Neill, because he's He's kind of been a legend all over the state, including doing um, the the public address announcements for years at Reynolds Razorback Stadium for football games. That's right. And Tommy Smith uh, has a satellite station or had a satellite yeah, station true. in northwest that's Arkansas uh, for 103.7 The Buzz, the sports talk. Right. So people uh, up here might know him. Right. Bob Robbins, uh, legend in country music. If, you're, if you've worked in radio. In right. Arkansas, you and know Broadway Bob, Joe. Uh, same here, same yes, there, yeah. Yes. All four of them will be uh, in Little Rock Saturday night at 7 o'clock. So we thought we'd give you a little preview. Let's do it. Let's, let's talk about these guys. How's that? Okay, so in 1986, KTV did a series of reports they called Air Wars, and they profiled some of the Little Rock disc jockeys uh, that would get up, you know, basically in the middle of the night, uh-huh. early in the morning to come in and do their shows. And I actually produced the series. And so I spent several mornings before sunrise in the control room, the radio control room with these guys. So uh, it was a lot of fun. And here's an excerpt from the one on number one rated Bob Robbins. 
Kiss at 96 FM, number one for all of Arkansas. Good morning, Arkansas. It's four minutes after six o'clock. Ooh, it's cold this morning. There is nothing in the world of radio that feels better than being number one. And for Morning Drive DJ Bob Robbins and KSSN, and for country music for that matter, a numero uno is where they're at. It's a music that makes people happy, it makes them smile, it makes them cry. And uh, when you're on the air, you can float all of those varieties and you can pick people up and bring them down and make them laugh. And that's what makes it such a success, I think. Well, it's nice talking to you and you have yourself a good day today. You know, being in broadcasting, I've known most of these guys for years. So I thought I'd get on the phone sure. and talk to each one of them to sort of see uh, what they were thinking about in the twilight of a career, uh, not quite all of them, but right, right. Um, anyway, I I asked all four of them the the obvious question: um, how they got their start in radio, and uh, this was Bob Robbins' response. Well, I was fourteen years old. I couldn't couldn't sing, couldn't dance, but I loved people that could. And I thought, well, maybe I could just start playing them, and people could hear. And that's how it all began, or began. And his real name is not Bob Robert, Bob Robbins. No, it's Robert Spears. That was a big thing back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. You wouldn't have your on-air name. Well, you you would be named whatever time slot you took over. There would be Bob Robbins, and when he started that, there may have been two or three before him. Now, fortunately, he kept the name. But my friend Bob Steele, his name was Michael O'Sullivan on KAAY. Mm -hmm. And there were several before him. And when he left, there were more Michael O'Sullivans oh after him. Gosh, I didn't realize that. I, when I, worked they, I guess they wanted the consistency. Sure. And, you know, Michael O'Sullivan's been working here for 30 years, right? Yeah, you plug in a different guy and he's Michael O on the radio. But not everybody's voice is the same. Anyway. Well, that's true. <laughs> but, you know. Right. So, yeah, Bob Robbins was 14 when he started. His dad was in the Air Force and stationed in, uh, I think it was uh, Morocco. Mm -hmm. And they let him spin records on the uh, armed services radio. Now, many of his competitors would, would say, well, he's number one because it's a country format. And there's... Not that's not completely illegitimate. No, but he was so good, or is so yes. good. No, I not mean, to you take don't away... get the kind of national awards that right. he got, or have the kind of adoration right. you get from listeners by not being really good. No, no, you've got to have the talent, but it does help in certain markets to be at a country station. Yeah, but then you've got to use that advantage, and that's he did true. That's very true. Well. And he yes. started when. Kissing was pretty much nothing. Here he exactly. is. Yeah, he's talking about the early days. We just had a good time getting up and going to work every day. We started with nothing, absolutely nothing. And the station kept building and building. Things kept getting nicer and nicer. And, and it, just, it was just so much fun to get up and go to work every day. And like you say, I was... Very fortunate and very blessed. I have always been a very competitive person, but I have never been a person that 
worried about everything like that from day to day. I just did my best and prayed that that was going to be good enough, you know. And We're talking about Bob Robbins, who's one of four uh, legendary Arkansas radio DJs who will be honored by the Central Arkansas Library System this weekend. Yes, and then I asked the dumb question. <laughs> After all these years, did he really like country music? Well, see, I was always in top 40 or from KWAY on. Uh, I was in top 40 music for that most of my life, and then we went off, of course, uh, with KARN and played uh, uh, big band music, instrumental music there. And, and, of course, a lot of talk we did uh, with news and all that. But, uh, yeah, country music was what I loved and what I still love today. All right, so let's move on to Craig O'Neill, uh-huh. whose real name no. is Randy Hankins. His real name is not Craig O'Neill? No, it's Randy, like me. Um, huh. Yeah. And so here's the report on him, and the reporter is uh, that did this series is David Davis. It is early, 4.30 a.m. No morning radio show starts in Little Rock for at least another hour. But Randy Hankins, better known as Lips, better known as Craig O'Neill, is beginning his workday. He is the most popular DJ in Little Rock among the young set, and he works hard at it. FM 104, KKYK, good morning, 531, 29 minutes before 6 o'clock, and hello and welcome to a Friday morning. This is the world's greatest disc jockey, Crazy Craig O'Neill. You know, there's not that much difference between a disc jockey and a politician. Politicians um, have got to impress people in the public, and disc jockeys are the same way. And, um, and that's, I kind of approach it from that angle. O'Neill impresses his public by appearing in it as much as possible, be it at a promotion event for the station or a fundraiser for a charity. The more you're seen by your listeners, he believes, the more you'll be listened to. Again, I asked Craig how he got his start, what gave him his bug to want to do this the rest of his life. And it's, a, it's, it's an interesting story he tells. I got started with tuna fish on white bread. Tuna fish on white bread. My grandfather taught me that you take tuna fish right out of the can, pack in oil, and put it on white fluffy bread. It is a delicious treat. So my grandfather, who I lived with and raised me in my formative years, had a pantry with tuna fish in it and white bread. I had to wait for him to go to sleep at night so I could sneak in there and get it. So I got it, opened the can very quietly so I wouldn't wake him, put it on the white bread. But you know, Randy, if you have a snack that you've been waiting for, you got to have something to watch on TV. And what I watched on TV that night was The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I forgot about tuna fish and white bread and became obsessed with Johnny Carson. I thought he was so cool. He was just so suave and debonair. He was funny. He could even make things that weren't funny funny. He could talk to beautiful women. And in my formative years, my preteen and teenage years, talking to women was a real challenge. But Johnny Carson could do it, and he could make them laugh. He became my obsession, my goal in life. I modeled my entire future there in the ninth grade after Johnny Carson. I was going to do it just like him. And that is what got me into broadcasting. Greg O'Neill is never boring. He's never dull. Oh, my gosh. No. And I'll tell you what, when he's not on the air, even now on TV, he is everywhere. Oh. 
MC of all sorts of events. Oh, it has to have been Telephones easily and, yeah. thousands yeah. and thousands over the years. And uh, often he'll be wearing a tux with tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. But uh, he will do everything from, you know, a black tie gala to, you know, something at the rodeo. Right. You know, or, or just even a very small pageant or something. But he's always out there. And so I had to ask him about the importance, especially in radio, of self-promotion. Oh, my gosh. Because you're the, you're the product. You know that in TV news, and this, here we go with our first comparison radio and TV. In TV news, you're a part of a test. And it is the news that you want to deliver. And that becomes your product. In morning radio, you are the product. So how many people you can attract to your morning show through whatever means you can find, that is an an advantage. And that means going out there and selling yourself at galas and fundraisers and stunts and um, just following up bits and pieces that occur in the culture and whether it be a hot movie or a hot product, hot star, and yeah, You've got to self-promote because you are the product, my friend. I think people under 40 just think of him as a TV guy. That's right. And, you know, it's it's fairly rare to make the move from radio to television, but he did it quite successfully. He went from radio <clears throat> to doing sports on KTHV, the CBS affiliate, and now – He's the main news anchor. But I asked him about the difference between TV and radio. And what you just heard was a part of the transition that was toughest because in radio, you are it. In television, you put down that. You check your ego pretty much at the door. Well, that's not, wait a minute, hold on. That's not quite accurate. You know that's not accurate. <laughs> because we have right. these things we have these things called news anchors. <laughs> Just a little bit. How many news anchors does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> Just one. He holds the bulb and the world revolves around him. <laughs> anyway, that was part of the transition. Plus, in radio, as a DJ, Randy, you do it all yourself. In television, as you know, you do it with a group of people. It is by committee, and you have to ask people for help. Let's move on to a guy I go way back with, okay. is the outlaw Tommy Smith, uh, whose real name is, well, Tommy Smith. Good for him. Yes. Good for him. Yes. Um, and at the time of these reports in 1986, he was, I mean, green. He was the rookie in the market, and uh, here's part of the report. Magic 105, KMJX, Conway Little Rock. Good morning, it's 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock comes particularly early for outlaw Tommy Smith. He's new to this morning shift, the new kid on the block, trying to make a name for himself. I feel I'm uh, similar to wrapping paper, as all of us are, and some of the people in this market are brown paper bags, and I try to be a little flashy, if you will, uh, a package that stands out underneath the tree, and whether or not that works or not, will, uh, well, it remains to be seen. And if that means a little bit controversial, well, that's just fine. I don't really try to be. I try to be natural, and I think uh, naturally I I, I get into that mess. Uh, And not that it's a mess. It seems to create a lot of phones. Did you also ask Tommy Smith how he got his start in radio? 
Gee, funny you should ask. And they implemented a, a, a BOTEC program for radio people. And there was a guy down there named Bob Kramer, and he pulled me aside one day, and he said, you've got a gift. And I said, I've got a, a what? He said, he said you, you can talk to anybody about anything. I said, I suggest you pursue radio as a career. So I did, and uh, went to work uh, at a little station called KEWP down on Main Street in Little Rock. Yeah. That, that didn't last long. Got a job in Salina, Kansas, uh, working for my father-in-law, and that's another story that I can't go into at this time. <laughs> and uh, he, he suggested at the time going into Armed Forces Network. Uh, you get an education, you get this, you get that, and uh, you'll be ready for radio. Well, what I forgot to tell my recruiter was I wanted to work on uh, on the radio, not on radios. And about mm-hmm. six, six months later, I found myself down in a snowstorm in Colorado Springs, Fort Carson, fixing radios on tanks. That's how bad I screwed that one up. You know, he was in the military, hated that. And he came back to Arkansas, and according to him, you know, things looked pretty bleak at the time. I mean, well, you'll hear, but then came Magic 105. I was painting houses in the summer of 1980. Very, very, very hot summer. And I I called Tom Wood twice a day for 20 days, and he finally broke down without ever hearing me on the radio and gave me the job. And, uh... That's pretty much how I got into radio right there. From there on, it was uh, Magic 105 and the buzz. Yeah, well, tell me about going to Magic 105. What was that like back in the day? It was, we we weren't even on the map yet. Our frequency wasn't even on. We could, So we had zero, 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 zero numbers. So the uh, first couple of years... Uh, we were on a mountaintop in Conway, then we moved to Mayflower, and finally when we got our feet on the ground, about 83, uh, they put me on afternoons, and we kicked some butt. I don't know how we did. We were, well, Randy, you know, we're not your typical radio show. But he was so popular in the afternoons, they moved him to mornings. And as he told me, he thought he was in over his head. He was against all these guys he's going to be on stage with. Mm-hmm. And he was brand new, but um, he he did well. He was he was doing well in the ratings, and then new management came in. And this was right after the Janet Jackson oh, incident the, at the, the Super Bowl. Wardrobe the, malfunction. Yes. And so broadcasters were really under the microscope, feeling the heat of things that were out of the norm or a little as – I mentioned Tommy's show was a little raunchy, mm-hmm. and you know he said what was on his mind. He he took on uh, some some crazy antics, I guess you could put it. But uh, the new management wouldn't go for it, and he wouldn't change. So they fired him. Mm-hmm. He came in, you know. They said change your show. He came in, didn't do it, and the following day after that show, they took his keys and he was out the door. But he landed on his feet, and 103.7 The Buzz, the sports talk radio show, uh, hired him uh, 
and that's where he's remained his entire career. Just retired a couple of months ago. Just retired. Yes. All right. We still have a fourth uh, radio legend to discuss. Yeah, Broadway Joe Booker. Um, He actually got his nickname (laughs) from using the song on Broadway. The Drifters version or the George Benson? George Benson version. And he's a big fan of George Benson. Played that. People started calling him. Broadway Joe, because well, the song, and he was telling me he actually got to go see him live uh, not too long after he got that moniker, <laughs> and uh, was a great show. Now, this is a report. This is not from that series of reports. This is from 1992, and it's a report by KTV's Pamela Smith, and it's about Booker and his station, Power 92 taking a stand and refusing to play. You remember the Ice-T song, Cop Killer? I do, yes. Well, here it is. A number of young people may recall that rapper Ice-T played a tough cop in the movie New Jack City. But his latest album features a song that some feel is sending out the wrong message, a message that's anti-cop. Little Rock radio station KIPR Power 92 asked its listeners what they thought about the song. However, you won't hear it on their airwaves. We don't play those. We don't play uh, songs. It's definitely something like this, uh, Kill kill a Cop, uh, something that we just definitely wouldn't play. And the reason we wouldn't play it is because it, uh, I personally feel that it probably depicts violence. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but first, this is how Booker got his start in radio. I, I got into this job because I played uh, basketball at uh, the junior college at Arkansas State. And the guy that uh, I got my, I got hurt and uh, started keeping the school book, and the guy that did the public address announcement, he uh, got laryngitis one night, and I got an opportunity to give the start in lineup, and he never got his job back. So <laughs> I, I, did, I did a lot of DJ work at parties and stuff like that, but I, I didn't really think about getting into this field until, you know, uh, that incident happened and my uh, athletic director uh, told me that I needed to take some broadcasting courses. And so I did, and that's when my interest in uh, broadcasting started. All right, so you mentioned that we're going to talk more about the um... – the refusal to play that Ice-T song. Let's hear about that. That's kind of how I've kind of, you know, kind of dealt with it and making decisions like on the Ice-T. I mean, uh, we do a lot of editing with songs now. Um, and there's some of them like that that you're just not going to play. And I, I don't think we were the only station not to play it. I think there were a number of stations that made a decision that, hey, look, right. that's not something that we want to promote. And so I... I can I can I can remember that back in the day. That wasn't that wasn't a tough decision. Now Joe tells me even though they are a music station, being on the radio to him is more than just playing the songs. I I, I figure out a way to deal with the music, but the most important thing for me now and is is even on a music station is the things that we can put between the music to help the community. Because it's not gonna go anywhere. And it's getting more progressive and it's getting more <laughs> to where you got to do more editing out to get it to where it's this mm-hmm. and that, you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, you can try and get the message of 
community service and the things that you do to make a difference in the community uh, between the songs. All right. So this event will take place. It's being sponsored by the Center for Arkansas Library Systems. Uh, is there a way to virtually watch this, or do we have to? No, but uh, I'm going to be down there, and there'll be a crew of three cameras with me, and we're going to shoot it and archive it for the Prior Center. So it will be online, hopefully within a few weeks after the event, but try to make it down. Right. Uh, the the money, all the money goes to Central Arkansas Library Systems. It's a fundraiser, and it's going to be great hearing stories from oh. these guys because it's all unscripted. Yeah. And... Uh, it should be a blast. And, and, and you're going to hear stories about a different era of radio. Yes. You just are. I mean, automation didn't really exist back then. Oh, and these guys are so funny. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, they'll cut loose and they'll say some things that you, most people have never heard before that maybe I hadn't even heard before. All right. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Randy, thank you very much. It's great to be here. The University of Arkansas Department of Political Science offers political science and public administration and nonprofit studies graduate programs. Both programs train the next generation of local, state, national, and global leaders in the public, nonprofit, and private sectors. Applications for fall 2022 and graduate assistantships are available for qualified applicants plsc.uark.edu for more information. Walton Arts Center presents Circa Sacre as part of their Night Out series this Thursday, March 3rd at 7 p.m. In the first Circa-style adaptation of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, the Circa acrobats maneuver with precision, fluidity, and defy gravity while embracing the human form. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. We have an entire week of new editions of Ozarks at Large as we make the move from February to March this week. Later this week, we'll preview another Honors College signature seminar at the University of Arkansas, this one about climate change and human history. Um, so again, our conversations are largely dominated by uh, what physical climate change will look like, what the mechanisms are, um, how that will lead to such things like increased extreme weather events or wildfires or other kinds of natural problems that create risk for people. But we usually don't really look at what the human side of that risk is. Ben Vining, an assistant professor in the Department of Anthropology at the U of A, will talk to us later this week. And we'll also meet the co-producers of a new film about autism that will have a sneak preview screening in northwest Arkansas this weekend. Um, and when Donald was diagnosed with autism, there was no definition of autism. doesn't mean that def autism didn't exist, but um, Donald T. was, you know, autism's first case. Plus, tomorrow, we have a new visit with our militant grammarian, Catherine Sheralds, and later this week, Courtney Lanning will give us her review of the latest cinematic treatment of The Batman. All of that and much more. It's all this week on new episodes of Ozarks at Large, and you can carry our daily show with you when you subscribe to the free Ozarks at Large podcast. Jacqueline Wearsman-Mosley is a professor of human development and family sciences at the University of Arkansas. She researches violence against women and recently published a study with one of her students about violence by NFL players off the field and how the league addresses these offenses. 
She says that most fans may already realize the NFL has a bigger problem with off-field violence than other professional sports, but the case of Ray Rice really brought attention to the issue. Just hearing about the story, people really didn't think much about it, but it was when there was a video that was released. And there are some cases where videos are released or pictures, right, when you see the victim. And I think that's powerful these days is that social media and obviously really well done journalism is helping us see it. So we know it's out there. You can hear Weirsman Mosley talk more about the study and the latest short talks from The Hill, a research podcast of the University of Arkansas. Listen at KUAF.com or ArkansasResearch.uark.edu. We mentioned earlier this hour the Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team will open play in the SEC tournament Thursday afternoon as the number eight seed. Other area collegiate basketball teams are in other stages of postseason play. Both John Brown University basketball team seasons actually have ended with losses in the Sooner Athletic Conference Tournament. The men lost in the quarterfinals Saturday to Wayland Baptist, and the JBU women also dropped their quarterfinal game Saturday, losing to Texas Wesleyan. Both University of Arkansas Fort Smith basketball teams will start their trips through the Lone Star Conference tomorrow. The 12th-seeded women will be at Lubbock Christian tomorrow night, and the 8th-seeded Lions men's team will host number 9, Seed St. Edwards, that's tomorrow night on the UAFS campus. A win by either UAFS team will place them into the quarterfinals. All Lone Star Conference tournament games after tomorrow will be played in Frisco, Texas. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and all along much of the White River. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich and Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and visual history. Additional assistance in getting today's show on the air came from Rachel Sanchez-Smith. Additional content today from our colleagues at KUAR Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. Scratching the Surface is hosted and produced by Pete Hartman inside the Nancy Blair Operations Studio. Our theme is composed and performed by Daryl Sean and the Ozarks at Large website maintained by Matthew Moore. You can always listen to us and hear the most recent edition of Daily Ozarks at Large by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. And the next edition of Ozarks at Large comes at you tomorrow at noon and 7 on KUAF 91.3. Thanks so much for your attention and your time on this Monday. Please take care of yourself. We'll talk again very soon.